A reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the, la- of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the women were left alone without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the con- from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her, to, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that each of you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and would bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exactly for it is exceedingly bitter to me for, the, for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go out with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The word of the, the word of the Lord. Almighty Father, we thank you um, that um, when we speak to you, when we pray, when we gather to worship, we're not speaking to somebody who's a long way away, but you are present by your Holy Spirit. And we ask for a very particular thing. We ask for your Holy Spirit We'll set aside all obstacles to hearing your word, all obstacles to seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ, everything that inhibits and gets in the way and distracts 
every lie that undermines your truth and sabotages our faith, will you grant all those things to be put away? Will you grant us to be able to see you as you are, as you are revealed in Jesus Christ, as you display yourself in the scriptures, and will you grant us to see your goodness, uh, even in the midst of a bitter land? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit down. Um, and uh, it would be helpful if you would turn back to pages uh, 6 and 7, that super long reading. We're beginning uh, today a series in the book of Ruth. And uh, the, we're going to be there for the next month or so. And uh, uh, Ruth is a curious little book. Uh, because um, it's part of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's in the Old Testament. All this occurs hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. And on the face of it, it's, it's, it's kind of a quaint little story. It's almost homely. Um, it, uh, there's no big, giant, uh, audacious miracles in the book of Ruth. There's no parting of the Red Sea. Uh, there's no epic battles. It's not talking about the uh, elite leaders of Israel. It's not a, a glorious uh, poem, though there's beauty in it. Uh, there's not, it's not a deep theological thesis. It, the book of Ruth doesn't fit into any of those boxes. I, instead, it's a little story about two immigrant women and a barley farmer in the Bronze Age. But here's the thing. If you delete Ruth from history, if you delete this story from the Bible, the entire rest of the Bible, the whole primary storyline of the Bible that follows will crumble, and we would never have heard of somebody called Jesus Christ. And I think that's weird. Age. Well, let that hang over here, that question is going to be in the background the whole of the series. But one of the fascinating things, it seems to me, about the God as uh, the God of the Bible, the God as he is presented in the Bible is this. When the God of the Bible introduces himself to us, um, he introduces himself to us not just through big dramatic stories, but also through small and apparently humble stories. In fact, this is important, um, it, it, if all, if you read the Bible as a whole, you get a sense that if you only know the big dramatic stories, then you will end up misrepresenting God. There's an aspect of God's character, in fact, some of the most beautiful aspects of God's character that you only see when you see God stepping into some of the most humble parts of our human life. And if you do not know God in the most humble parts of your human life, then um, you need to ask the question whether you really know him at all. And this is part of why the book of Ruth is so compelling. Because once again, Ruth is about two immigrant women and a barley farmer. And yet, as accurate as that is, it doesn't even begin to describe this book. Because the book of Ruth is finally, fundamentally, about God. The book of Ruth is about God and how God displays his character through the costly kindness of his people. The book of Ruth is about a God who redeems people. And when he redeems those people, he redeems people who, when they are looking at their lives, they look at their lives and they're ready to conclude that they're living in a kind of hell. 
the book of Ruth is about a God who can work in people's character and through their transformed character in such profound ways that it shifts the course of history. Like I said, if the book of Ruth wasn't here, if the story of Ruth hadn't happened, then we would never have heard of somebody called Jesus. The book of Ruth appears on the surface to be a very little story, but it's a story, it's almost as if it's a story that's bigger on the inside. And when you get inside the story of Ruth, you'll find that it is spacious enough to, to bear the weight of God's glory. So, Emmanuel, I invite you, I call you into the book of Ruth, because as we enter into the book of Ruth over the, over the next few weeks, we are going to rediscover God. And for those of us uh, who are Christians, it's going to uh, bring God into greater focus. And for those of us who are just trying to figure out whether or not there's anything to this Christianity, one of the questions before you is this. Uh, if there is a God, is that God somebody that I can trust? And the book of Ruth is going is to press that question upon your soul. So come with me. Let's get into the story. And today what we need to do is we need to enter the story by sitting with a woman called Naomi in the midst of her nightmare. Look at verse 20, almost the end. And let me set this up. So uh, there's somebody called Naomi, and there's somebody called Ruth. Uh, Naomi is an older woman. Uh, Ruth is her daughter-in-law. And these two uh, immigrant women are, are entering Bethlehem. Naomi is originally from Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is a foreign nation to Ruth. And, um, but what matters right now is you have to see that Naomi is in the midst of teeth-grinding catastrophic pain. And in fact, her catastrophic pain is so profound that she changes her name. It shifts her foundational identity. Look at verse 20. Looking at everybody that she grew up with in her hometown, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? Okay, the name Naomi means pleasant. The name Mara means bitter. That's a substantial shift, yes? And look at who she says causes the calamity. Verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Now sit with that for a second. One of the things I think you'll find if you read the Bible a lot is that um, the Bible is more honest than most of us are. Because Naomi's sitting there and she sees, she knows that the Lord is powerful and she sees calamity in her life and she is not squeamish about bringing those two realities together and saying, can the Lord be good when nothing else is? Now take that question, can the Lord be good when no one else is? And just, just set that over here for a second. We're going to come back to it. But before we do that, we need to go more deeply into Naomi's bitterness. Look at verse 1. Flip back to the very beginning. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Everybody say judges. There you go. You, try it again. Say judges. There we go. That's, thank you. Um, now, when the days when the judges ruled, what does that mean? It's super important because it's a hint to the beginning of uh, when everything went wrong for Naomi. Um, a little bit of the storyline of Israel. You remember Moses 
and uh, Egypt and uh, Israel was enslaved in Egypt. God used Moses to liberate Israel. Moses uh, handed leadership over to Joshua. Moses and Joshua were two pretty good leaders of Israel and things went they were leading Israel. But after Joshua, uh, there was no single person to succeed and uh, Israel began to lead, be, be led by these group of people called judges. Uh, and they were mostly train wrecks. They weren't judges uh, like we think of. Uh, some of them were kind of chieftains. Some of them were prophets. Uh, some of them were basically warlords. And almost none of them were any good. For a long time, generations. It was not entirely true. Deborah was super good. Uh, Samuel was pretty good. Most of the rest of them were terrible. And if you read the book of Judges, which happens just before Ruth, what you'll see is that all through the book, you see leader after leader who show themselves to be corrupt and hypocritical and violent and abusive and every now and then mildly faithful. And so the book of Ruth happens in a period of time when the people of God look to the leaders who are meant to represent God and they look at them and they say, these are not people that can be trusted. I got a feeling one or two of us can identify. What does it look like for the people of God to remain faithful in a time when they cannot trust so many of their leaders? Ruth's going to help. What does it look like for God to be faithful in a time when so many of those people who are called to represent him are not faithful? Ruth's going to help clarify that. And so Naomi's bitterness begins with a leadership crisis at the top, at the highest level. But it continues with an economic crisis. Famine hits Bethlehem. And uh, this is a farming society, so famine's as bad as it gets. And so Naomi and her husband Elimelech do the only sensible thing. They become economic refugees and they go to Moab. But Moab wasn't always a friendly country, so they were risking everything. And they spent 10 years in exile. So there's a leadership crisis and there's an economic crisis. And then comes the family crisis when Elimelech dies. And I'm sure that was devastating. Thankfully, Naomi had two sons, two grown sons, and in that uh, culture, uh, a woman with two sons had reasonable security. And those two sons married Moabite women, but then uh, there are no children, there's no grandchildren, which in that society and in that culture, that's, that's troubling. But then catastrophe hits when the two sons die. We don't know how. And you've got to enter into that culture because it's very different from ours. In that society, a widow with no sons in a foreign country, she's destitute. Her sons in that culture would have given her dignity and security, but now her dignity and her security have died with the death of her two sons. So there's a leadership crisis, and there's an economic crisis, and there's a family crisis, and then finally there's a personal crisis because she looks at these two daughters-in-law who she clearly loves, and they love her, but she realizes she can't care for them anymore, and that it would be irresponsible for them to stay with her. And so she says, you've got to go back to your families of origin. And therefore she is left all alone in a very big and frightening world. 
You ever heard of Job? Naomi's a lot like Job. Leadership crisis, economic crisis, family crisis, personal crisis. You can see why she calls herself bitter and why in verse 20 she looks at her Lord whom she served all her life and she's got pain that's too deep for tears and she looks at the Lord and she says, where are you? And can you possibly be good when nothing else is? Emmanuel, some of us have suffered horribly. And you know all about the bitter land. And some of us are there now. And if you're not, you will be. There's no escaping the bitter land in this life, friends. And when you find yourself in the bitter land, it's going to feel like God's not there. It's going to feel like God has lost touch with you. It's going to feel like you've slipped out of the hands of Almighty. It's going to feel like you're invisible to God. And when that day comes, friends, I want you to remember Naomi. She's been there before you. But remember Naomi not just because she's been there in the bitter land, but remember Naomi because... What we're going to find is that right there in the midst of the bitter land, she finds a Lord who's willing to answer that question. Can the Lord be good when nothing else is? The only reason we know Naomi's name is because this story's been told and it's never gone out of print for the last 2,700 years. And it's because Ruth, the book, answers that question, can the Lord be good when nothing else is? So use this book. Look through this book and see the goodness of God in the midst of a bitter land. Now look back at the story. Now I want you to see something ironic. Verse 21, Naomi says, I went away full and now I'm empty. Really good reason to say that. But do you notice who's standing next to her? Standing next to Naomi is a Moabite immigrant girl called Ruth who refuses to leave Naomi. Why is that important? It's super important. Here's why. Remember, Naomi's question, uh, can God be good when nothing else is? Guess what? Ruth is, the, is God's first answer to that question. Let me say it differently. So Naomi cannot see God's goodness, right? Super good reason, right? However, the Lord in his kindness and the Lord in his love and the Lord in his mercy and grace gives Naomi someone that she can see. The Lord gives her someone called Ruth. And the Lord shines his goodness through Ruth. All right, back up in the story. Come on. So remember a little bit earlier, Naomi tries to send her daughters-in-law away, right? I can't take care of you. You got to go back to your families of origin. Orpah does the sensible thing. There's nothing wrong with what Orpah does. She goes back to her family of origin, makes sense. Ruth, however, refuses to obey Naomi. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That is beautiful. It's also madness. She's a single Moabite woman with a widow 
heading into a foreign land, there is no way that story ends well for her. She's heading into almost certain destitution. At best, she's going to be poor for the rest of her life. At worst, she's going to enter into that foreign land and become enslaved or exploited or a thousand worse things. It right here. There's no good here. way it ends for Ruth making this decision. And, yeah. and Naomi knows it. Israel is not her home. Moab's her home. And the God of Israel is not her God. Her God that she grew up with is one called Chemosh. And Chemosh is very different from the God of the Bible. And I don't know why she makes the decision that she does. I, I want to speculate that maybe around the dinner table she'd heard stories of the God of Israel. And maybe she had heard how the Lord of Israel made better promises and kept them. Better promises than Chemosh ever made. I don't know why she made the decision that she did, but there with Ruth on the road, she defected from Chemosh, and she transferred her allegiance to the Lord of Israel. And in that moment, she found something within her soul. There was within her soul a love, a loyalty, a faithfulness, a kindness towards Naomi, and this love and this faithfulness and this kindness and this grace is a reflection of the Lord's own character. When Ruth transferred allegiance to the Lord, what happened is she decided to set aside herself and her own self-interest. She didn't think simply of herself, but of the good of others. She decided not to insist upon her rights as a Moabite. And she volunteered to love Naomi even to the point of becoming a servant. A servant to the point of risking her own life. And if you've read the Bible a little bit, I wonder if that sounds like somebody. Because that kind of sacrificial love, that kind of costly kindness, that faithfulness, that grace, um, it's a kind of love that the Bible calls hesed. And I use the word hesed because there's no other single word that captures the fullness of it. There's no English word that does. But the word hesed gathers up the moral beauty of the Lord of Israel. And in this book of Ruth, the Lord shines his hesed love through the transformed character of Ruth. See, Naomi can't see the hesed of the Lord in the midst of her bitter, bitter land. So the Lord shines his hesed love through someone she can see. He shines it through Ruth. And this hesed love, it's a costly kind of love. We're going to see that again and again. It's not sentimental. It's practical. It's not just feelings. It's action. Ruth is going to express the Lord's hesed love by sitting with Naomi and walking with her in her pain. And that's one of the ways the Lord's going to begin to rebuild the personal catastrophe of Naomi's life. And Ruth's going to express the Lord's hesed love by serving Naomi and feeding her and harvesting food for her. And through that, the Lord's going to begin to rebuild Naomi's economic life. And Ruth is going to shine the Lord's hesed love by, spoiler, getting married and having a, boy, a little baby boy. And through that, the Lord's going to begin to rebuild Naomi's family life. And through that son that Ruth is going to bear, a few generations later, the Lord is going to bring forth King David. And through King David, the Lord's going to begin to rebuild the leadership life of Israel. And through all of this, the Lord is revealing his hesed love to Naomi through the transformed character of Ruth. And this story isn't just about Naomi. 
if it was just for Naomi, it wouldn't have stayed in print for 2,700 years. This story's for you. It's for me. The Lord is going to shine his hesed love to you through this book. So open your eyes and get ready to see it. The Lord wants to show you his goodness in the midst of a bitter land, Emmanuel. There's more. Ruth is also going to teach us that the Lord wants to reflect his beauty through our transformed lives. Um, the Lord displayed his character through Naomi's character, and the Lord wants to do the same in you. We're going to see it. the Lord's going to do the same thing through the character of a guy called Boaz. That's a barley farmer. We'll talk about him later. The book of Ruth is a call to us, Emmanuel, to be a culture of hesed love, to be a church so tra transformed by the beauty of the Lord that we reflect it to each other and to the world. So look for the Lord's Hesed love in this book and then reflect that Hesed love to each other. Now, can you begin to see why this is a compelling little book? It's bigger on the inside. It's about two immigrant women and a Bronze Age barley farmer. But it's also about a God who's glorious enough to reveal his character through them. But that's not the only reason it's so compelling. The book of Ruth is compelling because the more you read it, the more you'll see that you're inside the story. And I don't just mean that you kind of read this story into your life or your life into this story. I mean that if you have any interest in Jesus Christ at all, either from a distance or up close, then you are part of this story. Because Ruth later on has a son. And generations later, one of her descendants, one of her grandsons, ends up being a lot like Ruth, but exceeds her in every way. And her greater grandson left his home just like Ruth and lived in a faraway place. And just like Ruth, he gave his deepest allegiance to the Lord. And just like Ruth, he gave away his life for the sake of others and even walked into the land of his enemies. And he set aside his self-interest and he took the form of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he made himself obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. And therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Friends, we're a lot like Naomi. It's very hard for us to see the goodness of the Lord in the midst of the bitter land. And therefore God sent Jesus Christ, because when you look at Jesus, you can see who God really is. So look at Ruth's greater son. And as you look at Ruth's greater son, the Lord is going to shine his light into the midst of our lives and transform us so that we will be part of the story that says, yes, I have seen the goodness of the Lord in the midst of the bitter land and his beauty is greater for it. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ.
If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.